Constructing your life is about much more than just building a bank account. Each week, join real estate entrepreneur and mindset coach Austin Linney as he interviews guests who are constructing their dream lives and impacting the world around them on a daily basis. If you're an entrepreneur or wanting to start a business, or you just want to hear motivating stories of how others have overcome the odds, you are in the right place. And now for your host, Austin Linney. Guys, welcome back to Construct Your Light. This is Austin Linney here. And I have, well, we finally got him on, more importantly, because <laughs> he stopped canceling on me. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, we got Mr. Travis in the house. How are you doing, my brother? Doing great. Doing great. Dude, you have so much going on. You have so many different things. You got a crazy real estate journey. What I want to do is you start your story where you want to, and then we'll go from there. Yeah, sure. So uh, back in 2012, I bought my first house and it was a HUD home. Um, you know, I paid 40 grand for it. I put 12 grand into it. That 12 grand came from me, like rolling the paint, me laying the tile. I did all the work. I, I did, it was a foreclosure. It was hilarious because all the fixtures, all the toilets and the back door had been taken by the previous owner. <laughs> and uh, and so like I had to put all that stuff back on. I was like, why? This is the most random stuff. You should take the copper or stuff that's like worthwhile. But what do you do with a bunch of toilets? And uh, and yeah, man, I, I put that. I, I was uh, I had so little money. I had to get like pretty much 100 percent financing. Um, I think I had twenty five hundred bucks in my bank account. And I met with the banker here in Waco and I'm like, hey, I got like $2,500. want to buy this house. Can you help me? And because I knew a few people in town that were pretty notable, at the time and still know about this at the time I uh he gave me like really good terms and I didn't have to bring any money to closing which was good because like that money I had to use for like the mortgage payments until it rented out thankfully um that sucker got rented out before I even finished the the renovation and uh and then I was cash flowing like three or four hundred bucks a month at that point and I remember telling my wife what I had done because she was thinking I was like looking for jobs and stuff because we had just moved here and she was a nurse and I was like, I don't really know what I want to do. I think I want to do real estate flipping. I'll buy, I want to buy this house. He goes, okay, I'm really nervous, but I'll let you do this one. And once I like rented it out before my mortgage payment was due, um, she was like bragging on the phone to her mom, like, yeah, like, uh, you know, like, yeah, he rented it out before his payments due, so he didn't have to come up with any money. <laughs> and so that yeah. kind of began a, a, a great journey of, of buying a few more, trying to buy as many. And then I kind of like spread out, bought a few in Dallas, got my ass handed to me in Dallas at a pretty substantial level. And then we went to buy a couple of apartment complexes. And then I bought into a, like a franchise uh, program and we just, it was like throwing gasoline on a fire. We ended up buying over 400 houses in five years, uh, really 400 houses in three years. Um, and uh, we had been, we had the franchise for five years. Most of those purchases happened like three years within a three year window. And so, um, yeah, and then and then just like most good things, the the market got really hot, and everyone wanted to be a house flipper, and we we couldn't reach yield. We were we had a very big office, and uh, we by saying we can't reach yield, meaning like we were averaging like thirty five grand a deal, and it slowly got down to twelve, and so we had to do three times as many houses just to make the same amount of money, and that was painful, and I got burned out. I just shut it all down, and um, and then. I can keep going or we can dialogue about it. Well, I think, I think what's the most important is why, you know, looking back now, why did you think you got your butt handed to you in Dallas? I didn't know the market. 
And I fell in love with that, the concept as opposed to just focusing on the numbers. So instead of going, okay, well, I can buy this house for 300, I'll put 400 into it, then I can sell for 900, which is what I thought it was. Um, it was, it was a lot worse than that. You know, like if you're, if you're rich enough to buy a $900,000 house in 2014, which was probably the equivalent of like 1.7 now, um, you don't want to live behind a classy apartment complex. And that house, one of the, one of the two houses I bought, uh, there was a classy apartment complex back there. And I'm like, I'll just put a whole bunch of like really, really tall trees. And they won't know, like they know they're real smart people that can, if they can afford a $900,000 house, they're real smart people. And, uh, and they're not going to play that game. They're going to buy the, buy the one yeah. down the street. Well, that $900,000 house, I ended up selling for seven fifteen, And then, you know, there's like the broker commissions and the title policy. So I netted like six thirty eight or something like that. It was something ridiculous. My loan was more than that. So I had, uh, I, I ended up taking a quarter to it. According to my accountant, I took a $228,000 loss on that property. And that's when, when that happened, that's when I was like, if I'm going to do this, I got to, I got to get really serious and not stop playing around. I just wasted four. I took, it took 14 months for me to pay something about a 228,000 bucks. And, uh, you know, I thought I was gonna make like a quarter million on that. And we ended up losing a quarter million bucks. And it took 14 months to get in and out of that project. And then, so why didn't you do what a lot of people do? And why didn't you just never do real estate investing again? Well, uh, um, you know, what I, <laughs> what I told myself during that time was like, man, there's a, clearly it works. This isn't a bad model. Clearly there are people who are making money who I was at the time I was like, who are not as smart as me, but in the reality, they, I, that probably wasn't the truth. Um, but like there are people that are making money. So if I can just figure out how they're doing it, then surely I can figure out how to make a living doing this. And so, um, you know, thankfully I, I did that. I, I bought into that franchise system and that sort of thing. That really helped me kind of get some uh, traction underneath, uh, underneath myself. And, I, and then I met a lot of people in the industry and then I got really good. And, I, and like, we hadn't lost, oh, that's about the last time we really actually lost money was in 2014. Do you think that you could be as successful as you are now without losing that money? No, I couldn't. And the reason why is pain is an excellent teacher. And until the pain of, my mentor says this, until the pain of being where you're at is, is more substantial than the pain of where you want to be, then you're going to stay the same. And for me, I had, I had watched a lot of my friends become wealthy and have really great careers and create stuff and buy big houses. And I still lived in a $130,000 house in Waco, Texas at the time. I'm like, this is not going to be how I end things. And so the pain of, of getting to the next level was worth it um, for me to get uh, the, the pain of going through that was, was a great teacher that I don't know where I'm going with this. Actually, we probably should restart the edit that part. No, we're good. Just, I stop. Like we're just stop. We're No, you I totally, I totally know. Sort of ask me the saying. question again. <laughs> was do you think that you're successful as you are now because of the pain that oh, you went yeah. through having to pay the tooth back 225 back? Yeah, yeah. I, I think a great way to answer that would be to talk about the hero's journey. Um 
you know, everyone is on their own hero's journey, meaning like they're, they're trying to figure out who they are, what they want to be about and what impact they want to make in life. And, um, and if you read about the hero's journey, like you have to go through a series of pain or a valley, you know, before you get into the, the peaks, there's also a book called peaks and valleys, which I highly recommend anyone to read. It's kind of a toilet book where you can like read it. It's like 70 pages. You can read it over a couple of hours uh, or maybe even less than that. And it's all about like, in order to uh, get to the peak, you have to hate being where you're at. So you have to be going through so much pain, to get to the peak. And so when people just kind of quit, uh, instead of just kind of pushing through the pain, which everyone is going to, to deal with, when people just quit, they're basically a, a saying to themselves, like, I'd rather deal with the pain of regret than deal with the pain of success. And so in order to get to, like, if you look at anyone who is successful, uh, they've gone through a lot of pain. Even the people that like in your head, you don't like that are successful and, or are weird, like them going through a lot of, you know, pain and getting super close to bankruptcy, I think is the only way that you eventually get to the point where you're like, I don't ever want to feel that way again. I'm going to make sure I never make those mistakes again like that. Mm -hmm. 100%. And in those years that you, you know, that's a lot of homes in a short amount of time. And obviously there's some systems that were in place with the franchises that made it easier. But, you know, obviously you're in a different kind of sector now in your real estate. I, this is just my personal belief. And the guys that do it for more than five, six, seven, 10 years that flip houses or wholesaling, whatever you want to call it, you know, God bless them. I don't know how they keep up with the machine. Um, do you, do you appreciate your time and the flipping and what you learned from it? But obviously that kind of churn, that, that constant on had to be, you know, it, it, some of it had to be joyful to get off the, the treadmill, I would imagine. To stop flipping houses? Yeah. Oh, yeah, man. It's, it, um, yeah, I would say, generally speaking, a good path in real estate is to flip a few houses until you have enough money to put earnest money down on a commercial piece of property. And then when you have enough money to put earnest money down, you, you probably, if you flip five to 10 houses, you probably have banking relationships and you can go, hey, I want to buy this small apartment complex, a small storage facility, this uh, triple net shopping center that needs, that is 70% occupied. And I can add value by finding tenants for the other 30%. Um, getting into commercial real estate is actually how you create the legacy that you want in your head when you started flipping houses. For me, when I started flipping houses, I, like I said, I had $2,500 in the bank. My wife was making like $4,000 a month. I was making nothing because I was unemployed. And, and I was, and I, and flipping a house, making 20 grand seemed like just freaking superhero status. And then after doing that 400 times, you're like, I'm competing with the Uber drivers, the teachers, the, the stay at home moms. I'm, I don't want to compete with those people anymore because they don't have the $80,000 a month overhead that I had and the seven, $8 million revolving line of credit at 10, 11, 12% that I had. And so I was like, how do I get out of this? And it was hard. Like I ha literally had to go back and fire everyone on, a, on an October 2018, uh, end of October 2018 is when I fired everyone and said, hey, I'm, I'm starting over. <laughs> this isn't going to work out. <laughs> and, and, uh, and, and, I have, and the point I'm trying to make is here, here is, is 
you have to start somewhere to get somewhere else. And so you can't just, if you're, if you have 2,500 bucks in your bank account, you're not going to go buy a $6 million RV and boat storage facility in Oklahoma city to, uh, you know, Oklahoma, you're, you know, you're going to need to start smaller, but eventually you get some money. You don't even have to have a lot of money, but you get, you get to the point where you have a lot of a decent amount of money, like 50, hundred grand in your bank account. And then at that point, flipping houses is actually more risky than owning a large commercial building. Uh, a commercial building typically comes with a non-recourse loan, meaning that if it doesn't work out and you default on it and you can't pay the mortgage, then the bank will put it in a special servicing and give it to another developer who knows what they're doing. Whereas if you forecl get foreclosed on a house, the bank is going to come after you. You're going to be in a two, three-year-long lawsuit uh, going back and forth, and the bank's not going to get anything if you don't have any money, and you're going to be stressed out all the time because you're giving all your money to the, your, your attorney. And and uh, and it's not going to end well for you. You're going to get deficiency judgment, a deficiency judgment, and you're going to have to pay that money back. Uh, and so the bigger you go, the safer it goes. But yeah, I was in a place where I did not want to compete with the Uber drivers and the stay-at-home moms. And I'm like, if I, I got the intelligence and I, the network to be able to build to buy really really big buildings, and that's essentially the transition I made in, into is is I I, I want to get as far away from anyone else and as far away from co competitors as anyone else that that um, that I have such a niche market to to that I've, that I've created for myself. And that's essentially what I've done. Like we're we're building a, a storage facility in Georgetown that the off, we're getting offers before we build it uh, to sell it to like private REITs and public like publicly traded companies. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, this is exactly where I wanted to go in 2018. It just took me a little bit longer to get there. And so. Well, the, the greatest lesson I ever learned from the guy that's raising the money for the businesses for us, who's in the big time. I mean, he's in the big, big time. He said, Austin, don't tell me about what's all going to go great. He goes, I don't care. He goes, it doesn't matter if you're going to do 50% returns the first year. Tell me how I'm not going to lose my money. Yeah. Tell me what the risks are. He goes, that's the only thing anybody ever cares about when you're in this space. Mm -hmm. And it's the same reason why I know a lot of my friends have transitioned to commercial real estate because the downside, there's more, there's more data and there's more uh, different loan packages that allow you downside to be protected. And that's sure. why you see a lot of the wealthy people get into this type of real estate for long-term benefits. Yeah, for sure, man. For sure. So when you bought your first storage unit, how tell us about that? And uh, was it something that you had thought about for a couple of years, or is it just something that came up? Yeah, in in uh, when I when I kind of closed everything down in my my house flipping business, I would say the first six months were were survival, meaning like we had forty two renovations going. No, I no longer had a construction management team. It was me. You know, we had. Uh, you know, we were trying to unwind 72 rentals that we, we had that were not cash flowing. They were, we were losing a lot of money primarily because of the property manager, how he was managing it. Like they were making them way too nice. They were, you know, every, it was in a military market in Texas. And so every nine months or six months, like a, a soldier get PCS, like permanently permanent change of station. And like legally they get out of their lease, but they only were there for six months and their pit bull destroyed everything. So I got to go in and, and, and replace the carpet and redo the drywall and maybe do some other things. Um, and so the first six months was a survival. I, and the thing is I got to the next October and I was like, Oh, Hey, I made it 12 months. I think, 
I think I'm going to be okay. I still had a good amount of property to sell, but I think I'm going to, I'm going to be okay. And at that time, that's when I started like, what do I, where do I want to go? I, like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to lose everything. I still want to do this. I have a little bit of drive left. I'm not super burnt out anymore. Um, you know, I went through a really hard season. Now I'm out of that. How do I, wh where do I go next? And so I, I texted my buddy, Brandon, I'm like, Hey, or at the time I had a bunch of Airbnbs and I was like that, which is a hospitality asset. Historically, hospitality assets are pretty risky. So I was thinking, okay, what's a good hedge to make sure that if I lose everything here, I still have this and I can, my bills are paid and you know, my, I can go get groceries, et cetera, et cetera. And I don't lose my house. And so that's when I discovered storage because storage in the great recession, hospitality had like a 24% default storage had a less than 1% default. And I'm like, all right, well, that's a pretty good hedge. So text my buddy, Brandon, he connected me with another guy. Uh, I started making offers, getting laughed at, uh, being told I'm an idiot by brokers who are now calling me wanting to know if I want to buy deals. <laughs> you know? And I'm like, well, you remember back in 2019? <laughs> so, still need an apology from that. Um, and getting laughed at, not knowing how I was going to get this done, but making offers, learning a lot about the market. And then, um, and then, uh, we ended up because of us selling so many prop, a lot of the real estate, like the single family real estate, we ended up making a lot of money and I was going to have a huge tax tax uh, liability. And I was like, man, I got to find something before the end of the year. And it was October. And I'm like, this is going to be hard to find something to close on, to stave off this tax too. Because when you buy commercial real estate, you can force depreciate the, uh, because of the jobs act of 2017, you can force depreciate up to, it was hundred percent. Now it's down to 80% basically meaning you can write off a lot of the depreciable basis of the asset. And that allows you to uh, eliminate your tax bill, which is why commercial real estate agents, sorry, commercial real estate developers typically don't pay um, taxes. And so, or at least income taxes. So I started calling every, every broker. I know I found a guy, he goes, Hey, this dude doesn't want to, this dude doesn't want to sell uh, for what you want to offer at, but this guy in Coleman, which is a small town in Texas wants to sell. And, uh, but he won't pay a commission. So if you just want to like shoot me like 25, 30 grand when we're done, if you buy it, then that's totally fine. I was like, dude, I'll do that for you. So sure enough, I meet this guy and it's, it happens to be every single storage facility in Coleman, Texas. So I was like, I can own, I, it's normally a market I wouldn't invest in, but it ended up being the entire market. I'm like, dude, like I am the king, yeah. I'm the storage king in this market if I buy this. <laughs> So you're gonna like, get, you you're gonna get, a, you're gonna get a shirt. You're gonna get a yeah. Cadillac drive around. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's that guy. There's a guy. Uh, but it's five facilities, five uh, individual facilities in that town. And uh, yeah, and the gentleman that I bought it from, awesome guy. One of the best, uh, one of the best sellers I've ever had. Helped me when we closed. He walked me around the city. So like, just it was that small of a city to get utilities changed. Yeah. He goes, well, we get to drive to this one, but everyone else is just right here. And so, yeah, man. And then, then I inherited this manager that made it super easy. And I, I just love her. She sent my family cookies for Christmas. It's just great, man. I, I can't think of anything. It's, it's a great, it's a great situation. And so, um, so yeah, so I ended up, like I said, I had to close on it. I, it was like October when I realized that I was going to have a, it was like $120,000 tax bill. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's going to pretty much be all the cash I have. And so, it was like, I was like, I have to close it. I told my banker I have to close it. I told the appraiser I had to give him extra money if he gets it in. Said I was like under the gun. Then like December 21st, my bank, the banker calls me. And he goes, you, you, we need you to bring another 600 grand for this deal. And I'm like, oh, I don't have that. So I had to syndicate it. 
at a, this is my first syndication at a syndicated around Christmas when most people are like, dude, we're checked out. Like we're skiing, we're with family. We don't want to talk about deals. Thankfully, I found enough people to give me enough money. And, uh, and we ended up closing on the 30th of December, like two days before I would have incurred that crazy amount of uh, tax bill. So, so yeah, I ended up working really well. That's actually uh, that thing. We, so last year we, we raised rents, our net, our net profit uh, increased by 39%. We raised rents over 72% uh, gross rents. And so um, it's, it's going great. The biggest issue I've had with it was uh, my manager called me and she said, Hey, this lady's really upset. Uh, she's moved out, but she didn't clean out her un unit, but she still wants her $20 rent deposit back. And I'm like, oh, you can do that. You can give her back. <laughs> you can give it, you can give her rent deposit back. That's totally you know fine. what's interesting? I want to, I want to hit on that for a minute. Cause I've been here for about a month. I'm in, you know, there's like three cities. It's not, it's not small as Coleman. I know, I know Coleman. So it's not small as that. I mean, we're, we're probably somewhere around 3,200 to 9,500 to about 2000, right? The three cities that make it up. I had the bank come over and the bank's like, oh yeah, yeah, I know this business. He's like, okay. He's like, we'll do a refinance. So we got a national lender for their five new cars. And he's like, yeah, we'll probably give it to you around. So I went from nine to 4%. Nice. And he goes, he goes, yeah. He goes, we'll vote on it. It'll be done in a day. I'm like, do what? And so like, there is something to be said to doing business and yeah, you have to be careful and you have to watch where you invest. There is something to be said to deal with people that are used to doing business the old way, just wham, bam, boom. You know, it, I have find a little joy and, and, you know, if you're a, if you're a change agent in the area, the, the city, the county, they will bend over backwards to make sure that they can help you. And I find, I find that to be enjoyable Absolutely. opposed to like an Austin or something like that. Sure. Yeah. Well, like in a small town, like everybody knows you. So like, like, you're the guy like you're you're the storage guy you're the hvac guy you know like there's you are the banker or the uh, one of the two bankers and, I, and and for me man i love going to coleman I, I rural rural towns in america are, are really the heartbeat of america in my opinion it's just like there's still just a lot of like goodness and a lot of like great people everyone's really happy you know what my dream is right my dream is to take a town that's destitute and bring it back Nice. I got to do that in Gun Barrel City. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I already got guy. my plan together. Yeah, I got my plan. That's when I. That's when I really hate money, though. That's when I'm just really ready to burn some money. So, yeah, uh, yeah it's gonna take. But you start with barbecue because people will travel, and then yep. you go to brewery, and then boom, boom, you start going from there. So yeah, no. Awesome. Yeah, there's a guy. Uh, we were on with my financial advisor, a financial projector spreadsheet guy and he was like yeah he's like me and my partner are trying to buy this town with this on the airstrip and everybody every other owner on the call goes austin close your ears don't even listen right now like we have shit to focus on so but you have taken that you taken flipping you're doing development storage airbnbs what is your kind of one two three advice for somebody even they're looking to move to the next asset class or they're just looking to start, where should they begin? Uh, yeah, you know, I, when I, before I flipped any houses, I, I read every book I could get my hands on about owning, owning residential real estate. And so that was, I ended up reading 53 books. Um, I, I know it was 53 books because there was a situation and I had, I had to take them to half price books because my wife's like, don't buy any more. 
uh, books. This is like 2009 when she told me that. So, um, you know, she's she's on board these days. But, um, and then when I got into storage, I read the three storage books I could find. And I'm like, all right, I think I, I know it. And then I looked at every offering memorandum that I could get my hands on. Uh, yeah. So go to loopnet.com, Crexy, CRE, so commercial real estate exchange, uh, Crexy.com. Well, hold, hold on. I want to I hit this point. I want to, I want anybody that's listening, open up your ears, right? Because this is how I learned how to value businesses. You have to, you have to, any offer or anything that you can get your hands on to understand the mechanics of a business or a storage facility or development, you, you need, books aren't going to be enough. You have to see the inside of deals. Yeah, yeah. And, and if you look at a hundred offering memorandums, you're going to start seeing the same type of, uh, of um, you know, words and cap rates and facility language. And you're going to, eventually you'll be able to call a broker and be like, yeah, I want to know what the economic occupancy on this is. Why is it so low? Why is it substantially lower than the physical occupancy? And how are you calculating the economic occupancy? Do you do it this way or do you do it that way? Or do you do it this other way? You know, there's three different ways you can figure that out. And you really need to know that because there's a lot of gold that can be found if, you're, if they're doing it, doing it the incorrect way, which typically on these smaller rural stuff, it's like associate brokers that are given this, given these listings because the actual main managing director or main broker uh, doesn't have time to mess with something less than $2 million. And so, um, but yeah, and then I, I think it was Alex or Mosley, which I know we're both a big fan of. He was like, you have to take action to understand. And so buy something, get, get out there, like start playing the game. Don't hang out in the arena wishing you could play. Just get out there and play. And I would say like, yeah, that's, that, that, that's probably the best way. No, I love it. So what are you doing now though? I think you're digging into something different trying to trying to give back trying to provide value to others i want to finish up there yeah yeah so in the same thread of what we've been talking about um you know i've i started like we've got house to empire it's basically if you are a house flipper or you're you're a burned out house flipper primarily more importantly and you're like i just want to get out of this uh we've got a like a what's called a co-sponsorship coaching program so basically we buy uh by large facilities and we can bring you on as a as a co-sponsor on uh, helping us raise money and you can get part of the equity um there's you know and then we teach you if you're more green don't know how to get find uh commercial properties we can get you uh we can teach you on how to find deals on how to talk to brokers on how to how to structure offerings that sort of thing we have uh, attorneys we have marketing companies we have investor relationship investor relations guys in-house that you can benefit from. So if you're like, man, this $6 million building is a really good deal, but I don't have the uh, net worth to get the loan. I don't have the network to get the money. Uh, that's when we come alongside you, uh, with you and, and help you help you do those things. I love that. I think that for me, getting around uh, you know, all the groups that I did and getting around guys that you know, had 35 Airbnbs or 100,000 units or 1,000 units or 3,000 units or 40 Airbnbs or 20, that changed my life. And if you really want to do it the right way, you have to get around other people that are going to push what you think is possible. But also, uh, I remember like it was yesterday, I had three Airbnbs, I was still doing keys 
and I was still doing all this stuff. I didn't have keypad locks and they were just like, dude, this is an intervention. We're going <laughs> to, and like, the, and the moment I changed these three things, I felt like I could do 30 Airbnbs and it was just like, boom, boom. It was one conversation. And so that's why I think these groups and these, and these, uh, it's just so important. Yeah, man. Awesome. Well, how would people find out about that stuff? How would they find you? Yeah, uh, you can you can reach out to me on uh, Instagram at, at Travis Bachlam. And then uh, my website is www.housetoempire.com. And awesome. uh, those are the two best places. Well, I appreciate it, my man. If you got some value from this guy, send it to a friend. And we'll see you next time.